The Man and the Myth is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the very best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Looking to score tickets to UFC 245 this weekend in Sin City? Get through the gates at the lowest prices possible, close enough to the action to hear the blows land by checking out Game Time. Great tickets are just two taps away. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Happy Fight Week, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It is December 11, 2019. My name is Sean Shotty, and this is the Man in the Myth podcast here on The Athletic and Apple Podcasts and wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, I am in Las Vegas for UFC 245, and it is a fun week ahead of us. Also, please really quickly rate, review, subscribe on Apple Pods. It really helps us out. And as always, we always thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, I love you all so much, and I hope you guys out there enjoying your week. And what a big week it is. Of course, I am joined by the best writer in the damn game, the GOAT. He is the man in the hat. He is the myth in the Man in the Myth podcast, Mr. Chuck Mendenhall. What is up, buddy? Can you feel that big fight feel? Sean, I got to say, you sound super stoked for this thing, man. It's a fun one, man. I haven't heard you this worked up, man, and it's been a while. Probably since the last pay-per-view, right? (laughs) <laughs> it might have been that one but i think this one's got a little something extra for you but uh i'm with you on that man i'm uh now that we can kind of focus on this card a little bit and and look it over i know we already talked about the prelims a little bit but just looking at that main card which i know we're going over today yeah man it's something to get excited about it is a damn good one man as you alluded to today is all ufc 245 we are going deep dive full deep dive on this pay-per-view the last pay-per-view of the year a championship triple header and is a sensational card uh as chuck said we previewed the undercard on monday's show so if you want to see that go ahead and go tune into monday's show we uh went ahead did that now today's a deep dive into the pay-per-view and chuck here's a little stat to start us off did you know 80 percent of this main card 80 percent of this main card eight out of ten fighters has either been in a, a ufc champion or been in a ufc title fight of some kind wow no, I did not know that. It kind of tells wild. you everything you need to know, right? Right? That is a wild stat. The only two that aren't, you're looking at Alexander Volkanovsky, who is actually in a title fight, and right. Peter Yan. Those are the only two, and obviously both those guys are very close to, to oh, yeah. reaching that point at this moment. I think it speaks a lot to the depth of the card. Um, so so let's start this way, man. I mean, what fight on this five-fight pay-per-view interests hmm. you the most? Man, I tell you what, there, all of these fights, and I, I, I say this without exaggeration, hold something, right? Like there is something compelling about every one of them, so I'm glad that we're going to kind of dedicate this podcast to kind of going through the, the five fights. But if you're looking at one and you say, like, which one is the most compelling, uh, the one that ha- you have the most attention on, I'd, ha- I'd have to go with the main event here. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, Cameron Uzman, it, it just, you know, what he's been able to do, uh, over the course of his career, and then you get this this firebrand essentially, um, and Col- Colby Covington, uh, similar kind. You know the, the the way they want to beat you is to kind of uh, sap your will and take take your will and dictate their own will, um, and the kind you know to put that up for grabs essentially and see who's going to be able to uh, do that to the other guy has its own appeal. But just given the 
very strict like uh, contrast of personalities and everything else in play here, man. Uh, it just has a lot of layers to it. So I'm looking forward to that welterweight <laughs> title fight. A lot of layers is maybe the most yeah. the biggest understatement you could put on that fight because there are. <laughs> I was so trying many for the layers. biggest understatement, Sean. So <laughs> yes. As I was sitting down, really thinking it out, breaking it down, there are so many damn layers to that fight. And so that that really is a perfect segue to what we're going to do today. Uh, If you guys caught our UFC 244 preview show, we're going to do a a similar format to what we did there. So we're going to go through fight by fight. Each one of us is going to present our one big question for that particular fight. We're going to alternate, take turns on it. Uh, And then we're going to make our picks, break down the fight, make our picks. And then Chuck... And also Chris, producer Chris, we're bringing mm-hmm. you in on this. We're bringing you into our misery. That's we're going right. to try to redeem ourselves with like these locks of the misery. night. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going five for five, boys. You know that. <laughs> we're trying to redeem ourselves. That kind ourselves. of cockiness is going to get you in trouble, son. <laughs> yeah. That is yeah. that is the cockiness of someone who has not failed yet epically yeah, as we exactly. did last time. Um, we're going to make our locks of the night picks. Uh, we're only going to do one lock each for this main card because we have already done one lock each for the undercard. If you remember, on Monday's show, Chuck went ahead and picked Jeff Neal to beat Mike Perry. That's his lock. I picked, and then me and producer Chris, we are going head-to-head. Irene Aldana was my pick. Producer Chris, you said Ketlin Vieira. Those are our locks. Uh, So we're going to have one more for this main (laughs) card. So get those three fighters and put them on a parlay, right? Yeah, yeah, I think maybe the opposite. Go the opposite. <laughs> yeah, just stay away from the Cat Vieira uh, or Rene Aldana fight. You'll be fine. So we're really going to try to redeem ourselves after the yeah. the shit show that me and Chuck uh, put a, put together for UFC 244. I'm, pre- I'm just locks. pretending that thing never happened, Sean. What At did we point, go? I'm 0 and 4? That never Co- happened. We go combined 0 and 4, something like that? Yes. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Maybe today's going to be a little better. All right, yeah. we're going to dive in. As Chuck said, uh, this main event is the most fascinating fight of this whole card to me. So we're going to start there. And my one big question for Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington, Chuck, is Kamaru Usman as good as we believe him to be? Or is there a mm. chance that Tyron Woodley was just the perfect stylistic matchup in retrospect? When I say this, I, I'm gonna, I want to explain this, right? Because it is fascinating to look at Kamaru Usman's UFC career because of the way we think of him now. The way we think of him now is so very, very recent, and it's all from that one win. It's from that Tyron Woodley win, because if you remember before UFC 235, before that fight, we didn't really know what Kamaru Usman was capable of. He was so new to the top of the division, and really, I mean, he he is still so new. He has only been navigating the waters of that sort of top 10 space at welterweight for only three fights. You have the RDA one, uh, the Maya fight, and then the Woodley one. Before that, he was very much stuck in that Charles Oliveira type of space where he was just getting this endless string of top 20 type guys. Yep. So even now, I mean, he has proven himself now to be one of the best in the world. But do we really know for a fact that he's the best? I, I don't know that we do. I think we have only seen three fights that would point to that, and that's just not a big sample size. And if you look at the Woodley one in retrospect, it's funny because the narrative going into that was that Tyron was a terrible stylistic matchup for Kamaru. <laughs> And I, I, I was very much one of the people loudly shouting this. And it's obvious, it feels, in retrospect, that the opposite is true, right? Like, we were all wrong on that. Tyron Woodley was a big, muscly counter-striker striker mm-hmm. with question marks about his cardio who prefers to load up for one big shot rather than sort of throw a consistent level of offense. That is perfect for what Kamaro does, as we saw in the fight. We just didn't see it at the time. The nonstop pressure, that aggressive clinch work to sap away the strength... 
the death by a thousand cuts strategy mm-hmm. to never really let Tyron Woodley find a rhythm. Kamara was able to keep him off balance all night, and he never gave Tyron the space to get himself set. My question is, does Covington actually need that space? I don't know that he does. He Because he is the exact same type of thing. He does the exact same type of thing to people. The pace of this fight is going to be outrageous. Yeah. And there's a good chance that it comes down to whoever's going to be out, able to outlast who. That's a very, very different type of stylistic fight than we have ever seen before for either man, but especially for Usman. I don't know, Chuck. Is there something to this, or am I overthinking this? Well, you mentioned that there were layers, Sean, and I think you just uh, <laughs> peeled back a couple of them right there. I think that you may see... Th- this is the interesting thing in this fight is it, it's, it is so multi-layered in, like, you can see a, somebody's going to have to relent, you know? And that yeah. that's probably the first layer of this fight. Who's going to relent first? Who has to come and, you know, kind of start checking in on a plan B, trying some different stuff from what they're used to? And I feel like we'll have to see one of these guys do that. If it doesn't happen, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to imagine... Uh, how the fight can play out since they both want to fight a certain way. Uh, like you mentioned, the pressure and just kind of, you know, it's, it, it, it is, it's like a landslide when they get rolling, each guy. And um, I do get, I get what you're saying. I don't think Guzman's faced a guy who wants to fight him like this before. And I think there's a point of pride in Colby Covington that says, you know what, I'll do this to anybody. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, if, if what our impression is at the end of this fight of, of Kamaru Usman, I do feel, I, I hear what you're saying too. Um, I, is he as good as he is? Like going to decisions either tells you a lot about a guy where it tells you very little. I think in his case, it tells you quite a bit in how he's been able to dominate. Like that Woodley fight mm-hmm. was, was obviously what it was. And everybody saw that and was kind of shocked by it as it was happening. But, you know, you look at the RDA, RDA fight and, uh, you know, going backwards, some of the other fights he's had, he's dominated similarly. Like the Maya fight, he just dominated the fight. He just did it in a way that it didn't it didn't resound, you know, down the hall. Like, it, it just wasn't going to be one of those things that you it was so emphatic that you would talk about it as much. But it was dominant, you know. And uh, there was even a 50 to, uh, 50 to 43 score on the RDA, <laughs> you know, yeah. on that RDA beatdown. So it's like it's... He, he knows how to do that. I just, I'm not sure you'll be able to do that to Covington. And if he does, I would say that he's every bit as good as we, whatever we imagine him to, you know, at the, at the greatest that we can imagine him, that's where he's at. But uh, I'm not sure he'll be able to do that. It, it's almost like comical in a way, the dynamics of this fight, because they could not be more different people. They are so thoroughly different in terms oh, of just yeah. who they are as people. But the parallels of who they are as fighters is just almost uncanny. Check this out. Like, I found this from a YouTube comment section of all places. And and this is maybe the first intelligent thing I've ever seen in a YouTube comment section. But this list <laughs> is nuts to me. So just really quickly, here are, the two, sim- here are some similarities between these two. Both started fighting in 2012. Both have hmm. 16 fights. Both have a 15-1 and one record. Both have eight of their 15 wins by decision. Both beat RDA by decision two fights ago. Both beat Weird. Damian Maya by decision three fights ago. The only guy to beat Kamaru... Colby has beaten him, a guy named Jose Caceres. The only guy to beat Colby, Camaro has beaten him, Warley Alvarez. Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> that, that doesn't is... make any So I had no idea about that kind of parallel, like, <laughs> stuff that's going on. That is crazy, man. This is like that Lincoln-Kennedy type of thing. It yeah. is, 100%. <laughs> it's, it's super strange. It's super strange. I wonder, though, because we're leading into this, and right now it's Wednesday morning. It doesn't feel like this fight 
feels like like I thought this fight would feel on a Wednesday morning. Like I think the promotion of this fight has been strange to me and surprised me a bit. It feels very toned down from what I expected. Yeah. Very low key. Not really like I I was afraid of this lead because I thought it could get really ugly. But there's not really it doesn't feel like there's a lot there right now. Like Colby yeah. has talked more about Donald Trump than he has about Kamaru Usman. Uh has the promotion of this fight surprised you guys at all? Man. Uh yes. But it's also like because this thing because of its placement and everything, you, you wonder if it's going to pick up after they publicly come together and you know, uh, there's a moment where something might happen. I'm still kind of holding out like that there might be some some late week theatrics that we'll we'll be talking about but uh so far yes it has seemed very subdued and i always wonder when you have three title fights and there's real so you have three title fights and each one of them isn't an event in itself like there there's nothing that's going to be oh my god that the pay-per-view is going to be off the hook because of this one fight you know that sort of feeling if it almost takes away something in the end because there's not one singular focus there's so much focus on the three fights and you wonder if that almost makes yeah. it subdued just by the you know by by it being bigger in that sense. But uh, I'm kind of hopeful that things are going to heat up as the week goes on here. Yeah, it almost it, it feels like this event has been a one big promotion of Donald Trump to some degree, which is very <laughs> much not what I expected. I guess. Yeah, uh, it's just weird. It's very weird. Um, <laughs> That's going to make who, for fun times in Vegas all week. Oof. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Who, who do you think? Who do you guys think has more to lose here? Because this is a moment that has taken a long time to build to this moment for Colby Covington, right? Like, if he loses, this is... We've talked about this a little bit, Chuck, but this is the crumbling of everything that he has built. Yeah. We, like, is he Chael Sonnen? We have, this is a question that I have wondered for a while now. Is he someone who has the promotional savvy to navigate through a loss and still keep the gimmick alive and effective? <laughs> I, don't I don't know, know. though I'd suspect he isn't. But the appeal... The, because the appeal to him right now is to see him lose, right? Like, this moment... After two years of all the talk and the near title shots and trying to force his way into the picture, this would be the ultimate fulfillment of that if he loses. Because here it is. He is not who he said he was at that point. Do people still care? I don't really know. But then on the other hand, if Kamaru Usman loses, he's the guy that let this all happen. Like, right? Like, he's the guy who, after all of this, allowed Kobe Covington to become what seemingly no one in the space wants him to become. (laughs) He's the guy who unleashed, like, capital letter Colby Covington UFC welterweight king into the world it's so strange it is such yeah. a strange dynamic I, like Kamaru Usman is the fan favorite in this fight but only because anybody would be against Colby and it feels like the fan base other than that isn't really sold on Kamaru and if he loses and allows Colby to sort of achieve that final form I don't know that there's anything that could be done to ever salvage that and to make fans be able to love him and come onto his side it's almost feels like, and I obviously mean this sarcastically, but he's been trusted with the responsibility of saving the world, like to prevent some sort of cataclysmic <laughs> wow. doomsday scenario in the MMA world. It's such a wild dynamic. I can't remember one that parallels, like a fight that parallels like this. Who do you think has more to lose here? Oh, I mean, I, I think it's true what you just said. I don't. There, there aren't a lot of guys that have such a genuine um, polarizing feel that Colby Covington has. And I mean most when you say, when I say polarizing I mean it in the in the most unbeloved way like where <laughs> you know it, it, you know Chael Sonnen at least had the at least people kind of caught on to his humor as he was going up. There was something about him that uh, that had benevolence behind it. This shtick is harder to to feel, right? Like because it's it's hits on topics, you know, 
there's xenophobia, there's things like that that start cropping up uh, through Colby's shtick that just people don't want to forgive. And I think when you go through that type of process and you have that kind of dislike, uh, you know, the, 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 the line in the sand can't move at that point. The people who dislike you truly dislike you. They want to see you fail. I'm not sure how you come back from that because a lot of why he's here is because of his blowhard, his ability to be the blowhard, right? Like it's because of his cockiness and it's because of all that stuff. He's going to lose a great deal more than a fight because a lot of that stuff, however you want to look at it in terms of like mojo or like uh, how it translates into um, making him compelling, a lot of that goes away, man. So I feel like it's going to be very, very difficult for him to, to come back. And because this is, if it is a shtick, it's like his shtick won't work once you lose. He's going to have to kind of revamp it. I'm not sure. He, I'm not sure the depths of his game that way. And I, I, you knew that you knew that Sonnen would rebound, but I'm not so sure about Covington. Right. Well, Chael's gimmick or shtick, whatever you want to put, it, was still fun even if he yeah. lost. You know, because he would just say, "I didn't lose. I'm undefeated." Exactly. You know, like that's not going to work for Colby because people are not enjoying his shtick necessarily. That's it's just exactly getting right. him a lot of attention. The, so I think it definitely would impact him way more if he lo- loses this fight than Kamaro. Because as you said, Sean, I mean, Kamaro maybe isn't totally over with the fan base anyway. It's just because he happens to be the guy that is fighting Colby Covington and everybody wants to see him win. So that, you know, gives him a little extra boost. I think if Kamara does lose and Colby does get the title, I think it actually benefits a guy like Tyron Woodley, who has also been somebody who hasn't been super over with the fan base. He can jump in. He's also had some kind of, you know, feud with Colby. And so that kind of sets him up to potentially be that hero that Kamara has the opportunity to be on Saturday night. Exactly. And you, you said the F word there, the fun. Chael Sonnen's gimmick was fun to some degree. There were moments where it dipped into like, hey, this is a little touch and go. But like for the most part, it was obvious what he was doing and it was very fun. Yeah, and he understood when to pull it back. Yeah, I don't know that anybody would describe Colby Covington's gimmick as fun. (laughs) (laughs) No, I haven't heard that word used. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I wonder then though, like what's better for the UFC? Because to me, it almost feels like Covington winning and just go oh, yeah. like evolving into that cosmic shitbag final form of himself. That might actually be better for the UFC, right? Like you're might. setting up a big fight with Tyron. You're setting up a big fight with with Masvidal. Like I don't know. That feels like that could be something. No, I I think it's a slam dunk that the UFC would benefit most if Covington wins. I mean. He the one thing he will do is just continue to jump on people's nerves, right? And like he's going to do that on the, on the biggest level at that point, having the belt undisputed, and you know, put him in putting himself into bigger, uh, bigger slices of scrutiny where he's going to be in bigger outlets, you know, have more uh, bandwidth to basically get his messages out. It's just going to increase. And uh, I, you saw that thing where he basically he he was uh, in some public appearance was basically saying that he got his contract renewed the moment he made fun of Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I don't know the extent of the truth. I don't know where the truth starts and stops with Colby Covington, but um, I can guarantee you the UFC knows how to capitalize on a guy like that. You know what I'm saying? Even if it's uh, even if it's the type of thing that's so polarizing that you can't stand Colby Covington, that means you still care enough to see him get his ass kicked, and I always think that that translates. It's tough because the I think the only alternative to that the, the way it could be really good for the UFC is if Kamara Usman actually for I mean better for the UFC if Usman wins is if Usman wins by some level of like a Masvidal type of just ultimate stoppage something just so 
embarrassing and so yeah. fulfilling yeah. for all of the Colby haters that it props Usman up in a way similar to sort of what happened to Masvidal after Askren. It would help if Covington does some you know, some stuff leading up to this fight, and I'm talking the next couple of days, that just brings it to that level, right? Because when Ben yeah. Askren got knocked out, you know, man, he was as vocal as you can be. He was He's always on social media. He's doing all the stuff. You need Covington to, to kind of sway public sentiment so far against him that him getting knocked out emphatically would get Usman over in a big way like that. I almost It feels like we're close to that. If yeah. he's able to do something over the course of these next couple days, which I'm sure he has thought about and planned, Colby. Oh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Let's make the pick. We've talked a lot about this. <laughs> where, are you, where are you guys leaning? Chuck, how about you? I want Chris to go first. All right, Chris. Oh, shit. Putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, this is a really interesting matchup, obviously, because these guys have extremely similar skill sets. Um, I think, uh, you know, based on what Colby did in the last fight against Robbie Lawler, you can see that cardio is never, ever going to be an issue for him. His output is unbelievable. And I think we've seen at times Kamaru Usman has had not not that he has cardio issues, but he's definitely slowed down in a way that Colby hasn't in these five-round fights. Uh, that being said, I think Kamara's gone into a lot of the fights leading up to the Tyron Woodley one, including the Tyron Woodley one, with injuries that for sure would hamper him. The famous, you know, 30% comment that Dana White jumped on him about. Um, I think ultimately Kamara has more power. And I think because they're both wrestlers, because they're trying to implement kind of the same game plan... It might end up being a fight that stays on the feet a lot longer than, you know, people are anticipating going into the fight. Of course, it could end up being the, you know, just a grappling match for the whole thing. And people would, are going to be upset about that. But I think it definitely <laughs> could stay on the feet, uh, a la Ben Askren and Damien Maya. You know, it stayed up for three rounds. Um, I'm going to go with Kamaru Usman. I think he eventually is going to catch Colby at some point. I think he, he hurts him. Um, and I'm going to go with Kamara Usman by third round stoppage. Wow. I like that. Stopping him. Okay. You know, mine's right. real similar. Mine's real similar. I think that Usman will, because of the pressure I think Covington's going to bring, I think Usman will have a moment where he's going to be able to catch him. I don't know when it'll come. I could see it happening just like that in the middle of the fight. But yeah. I just think that Usman over, you know, it's hard to go against him, man, after watching his – after that Woodley fight and after some of those previous ones, but especially the Woodley one, he was just such a – you know, just so relentless. And uh, I could see him getting that moment where he clips Colby Covington somewhere along the way, maybe trying to push the action where we're at a, at a bad moment and uh, getting it done the exact same thing. I'm kind of foreseeing a stoppage too. I was going to say third round, but I, I could see it happening before that. Oh, no. I think we're doing it. We're doing it again, guys. Hey, you're the uh, one who asked who, what, what we thought. I, I, I am also picking Kamaru Usman. It is unanimous. Uh, I think stylistically this is a really tough fight for both of them. I, I think it comes down to who has mastered, like I said, that death by a thousand cut style more, who can bowl over the other with it more, and who can adjust if it's not working. I think Kamaru, like Chris, I agree with you. I think he's the stronger fighter and the faster fighter. Yep. It's harder. But I also like his ability to make an in-ring adjustment a little more than Colby if it comes to that. It seems like Colby is very much going to do what he's going to do, and that's going to just work or it's not. Um, it's close, though, man. And I think if they fight yeah. ten times, I, I would figure Colby would win four or five. This feels really even to me. Uh, this is more of an abstract feeling, but karmically, though, the reason that sways my pick, I feel like the MMA gods love making people eat crow. 
They really they do. do. They love making somebody shove their foot in their mouth <laughs> and have to pick up the pieces and rebuild themselves uh, after something like this. And it, would there any ever be anybody who deserved that more than Colby? Uh, <laughs> I'm picking Usman, and I think it's going to be a, a decision. And now that we have all picked Usman, the yeah, MMA world can thank us Colby. for <laughs> UFC welterweight <laughs> champion Colby Covington. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. All right, moving on to this next second title fight on the card, the co-main event. Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, Chuck Mendenhall. My friend, yes. what is your one big question for Max so Holloway? So my big question Alexander in this one is, you know, Max Holloway, we've even, had this, we've even had this debate on this show, but does a victory in this one, is, is, is Holloway the no questions asked featherweight goat with the victory in this one? Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to, man, it's... I've I've always, you know, because I think Jose Aldo was like the identity marker of what a featherweight is, you know, like for so long. It's hard to go against him, but at this point, and it obviously helps that Holloway has beat uh all has beaten Aldo twice and kind of basically chased him from the division. I, I would say that it does, man. I think that after this, especially this guy, this this is you're back into everything here because you got a guy who's unbeaten. He's coming up like he's the guy nobody really wants to face at this point. Gunning for the title, but if Max is able to go in there and just buzz buzzsaw through another one, looking at his string of work, and I mean all the fights that led up to him winning the title, and then looking at him defending it a few times afterwards, I, I think I would have no problem. I mean, no problem whatsoever calling him the best uh, the best featherweight of all time. Wow, that's something I was thinking about too. And I, I man, I have um, I'm not like so. I know some people still consider him right now to be the greatest featherweight of all time. Some people are already there. I'm like yeah, you. I'm yeah. not there yet. I've kind of, I've, I still side with Jose Aldo on that front, but you're right, man. With each win, it's getting harder and harder to defend that position. Um, at what point does it become unassailable for Max? Is this the, that point? I, it might be, it really might be because this is also another thing I was thinking about with Max. Like, right. Where, where do we stand on Max Holloway right now? Like he's about to finish year three of his title reign and he's been flawless at featherweight. I mean, we just here at The Athletic yeah. named him featherweight of the decade. No one has come close to touching him. But in between, he's sort of had these weird blips, these weird like ups and downs where for a while it was his weight cut. That was an issue. Then he had that uh, really scary brain thing with the Brian Ortega oh, yeah. fight where we, we wondered if are we going to lose Max for a couple of years here or maybe forever. And then he had the failed move to 55 against Poirier. But then here's the thing, right? Like his bounce back. He has one of the best bounce backs Ever. Like he he is able to recover from situations so fast. He yep. loses that that Dustin Poirier fight and then takes a ton of damage. Two months later, two months later, he's beating the brakes off of Frankie Edgar at 45. Um Max has sort of entered this weird space, I think, at this point, where like we just yep. don't even know really how to feel about him. It's crazy when you just contemplate that Jose Aldo, you know, is switching uh weight classes, Frankie Edgar. Even though he just signed on to fill in for a moment, he was trying to go go down to bantamweight as well. Brian Ortega hasn't fought since. You know what I mean? It's just uh, where he leaves these guys is like part of it. You're like, man, he kind of rearranges the schedule and the kind of you know what, what all plans, everything that, that that seemed like destiny changes after he fights you. Um, he's been amazing, man, and his finish rate is ridiculous. It's just. Uh, it gets harder and harder to say like that he's not, you know what I mean? And I feel like yeah. a guy like Volkanovsky is the, is the scariest kind of guy because he's, he's so, he's kind of so under the radar on his approach, but at the same time, anybody who's been watching me like, man, this guy is 
you know, he's deadly. So it's oh just another God. guy who's coming up hungry, um, you know, has the guy it's there's always a psychological advantage to the to try to take something than to defend it. That's why it's so difficult to stay a champion. But if Max is able to do that, I just man, at this point, I I, I would put him I, I'd put I'm with you on the enigma that is Max Holloway, like trying to figure out, you know, some of the stuff that goes on with him, but in the actual cage at featherweight, I'd be like, I feel like it's just he would have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's the best we've seen. I'm so glad you just said that about Alexander Volkanovsky because that is something that I was trying to figure out too. Because a lot of in a lot of ways, if you look like historically, like Alexander Volkanovsky right now is featherweight's great unsung, right? Like he is the type of guy, like you said, who has done nothing but win and often win really impressively. And maybe he's not the biggest name out there or the kind of fight that will do much to help out a champion like a Max Holloway, either financially or just a big picture sense. And he's also the type of guy who's would get passed over if there was a bigger fight. Like if there was a Nick Diaz type of oh, fight yeah, for, for, sure. for Max, Volkanovski's the guy who's getting passed over. You look at the, a lot of MMA's great streaks or title reigns, though, throughout history, a lot of them were ended by someone like that. Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva, uh-huh. same thing. Johnny Hendricks should have done it to GSP. I think a lot of people feel like he won that fight. I feel like he won that fight. He got he actually did get passed over for Nick Diaz when he deserved the title shot. Uh, John Jones, Alexander Gustafson, and Tiago Santos both times. Uh, Demetrius Johnson, he had it kind of with Henry Cejudo as well. It's those fights that where maybe the hardcores think there's a tiny potential something might happen, but otherwise most of the world expects the champion to win. And I don't know, man. Alexander Volkanovsky kind of has that feeling to me. Yeah, I'm with you on that, man. Um, He's been that way too. I think that this is one of those guys who, like when you're – watching him come up I think there was always just a little bit I don't know what it is like you you're not he used to play used to be a professional rugby guy and that's a that's the original backstory you kind of have on him so you're thinking oh he's cut he's lost a lot of weight he's fighting down um and he looks pretty good you know he comes he comes from a different part of the world like you're, you're looking at these things but all the while he's just beating guys you know and uh I think just after after watching his last couple really you know Chad Mendez and then and then going to Rio de Janeiro and beating Jose Aldo. That's when you're just like, gosh, man, this guy is legit a threat. He is a legit threat to just go in there and do what he's going to do, even against a guy like Max Holloway. And in that way, he's a perfect champion. But he's because he's not as marketable because he's been like that. You know, he's very you know almost unsung. Doesn't have a ton of charisma in the way that some of these champions do, like that sort of thing. Nobody really wants to face a guy like that, and it's it's a kudos yeah. to uh, to to Holloway to fight a guy, and not even you know. I feel like he'll just fight anybody, but yeah, this has like danger signs all over it, man. All over. It really it. does. Well, and especially <laughs> when you consider where Volkanovski, who he trains with, you know, he comes out of that camp with Israel Adesanya, yeah. Dan Hooker, like what one of the arguably one of the best camps in MMA right now. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, they're going to have a game plan. He's going to be prepared. Um, it's definitely like a a, a live dog here if he's even that big of an underdog this is a, a real threat i think to max for sure yeah they have him listed at plus 150 volkanovsky heading into this fight yeah so not not bad yeah so chris what's the pick um i mean i i agree with what's been said but i think i think the picks the pick is max i mean i think he's gonna have a size advantage i, I believe he has a reach advantage i'd be surprised if he didn't uh, i didn't look but um I think output is a huge factor in this. Volkanovski does get hit. Even the fights that he's won, uh, he's been in trouble. I mean, Aldo actually 
notwithstanding, I think the two fights before that against Mendez and Elkins, I think he he got rocked in both of those fights. Uh, did come back and win, of course, but um, I think he gets hit, and I think Max is going to be the guy to hit him <laughs> a lot, yeah. uh, as he does to everybody. Uh, I'm, I don't think a stoppage is going to happen. It could, um, but I'm just going to go with Max by decision, but I think Max keeps the belt. But this is... This is definitely one that could go the other way. I mean, I, I'm not counting Volkanovski out at all in this fight. Yeah. One one quick note from what you said. Um, I actually was surprised by this as well. Max actually ha- doesn't have the bigger reach. He has he's wow. uh, oh. he's 69 inch reach. Volkanovski, according to Wikipedia, has 71 and a half. Wow. Okay. That's so weird. Yeah. That's crazy. Because I would Max not is, have expected uh, that. Max is 5'11 versus 5'6. That's a crazy stat there that you just gave us. Yeah. That that is a weird one. But uh. Otherwise, I, I agree with everything you're saying there, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I still like the way that I, it's very difficult to pick against Holloway, right? Like, I just I feel like the he the way he shows up, like his in cage adjustments, uh, the way he kind of game plans, it's just very difficult to pick against a guy like that. And I still think he knows how to use, you know, like whatever tools he has. So like he's a little bit more gangly in the division, very you know, very skinny, but he knows how to move. He knows how to keep the distance. He knows how to land his punches. He knows how to get his offense. He's very good on defense. It's hard for me to see the way that he loses this fight. I mean, if I really think about it, you can imagine scenarios, but I don't think he'll let it happen. I just don't think he'll let it happen. So I'm gonna I'm going Max Holloway. I think it's going to be a decision, though. I think that uh, Volkanovski is going to be a tough out, and he'll probably get some moments. But I'm gonna, I'm going with Holloway in a decision here. I echo everything both of you guys just said. I think by the end of it. As we started this conversation, I think Max is going to end up being the greatest featherweight we've ever seen. It's just, it's which is really hard for me to say as as a diehard Jose Aldo guy, but it, I think it is true. Um, also, I think Volkanovski just has not faced someone with this pace and the pressure that Max can put on people because really yeah. there isn't anybody else like that at featherweight. It is virtually an impossible thing to prepare for because a lot of Max's past opponents have said, you just don't get it. You don't understand it until you feel it. Um, I think that's how this works. I think Volkanovski starts out strong. Maybe he wins one of the first two rounds, but then he finds himself caught in that snowball rolling down the hill and just succumbs to it. I, yeah. I could totally see like a 49, 46 type of decision going to max and still. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations, well, Mr. Volkanovski. <laughs> that's two that we've jinxed. All right. Well, let's move on. This third title fight on this triple header. Amanda Nunes, the greatest women fighter, female fighter of all time versus Jermaine Durandamy. My one big question for this fight is Amanda Nunes susceptible to a trap game or is she really as immortal as we all think she is? I'll explain this really quickly because people, a lot of people in other sports use the term trap game. If you've never really heard that phrase, it basically signifies a game that a very good team should objectively win. Uh, But because of a variety of sort of outside circumstances, it's quite possibly that they let their guard down or let their focus drop and just, however it happens, end up losing. Um, so here's an example, right? Like think of it like in basketball. Let's say the, the Milwaukee Bucks, best team in the East, beat the best team in the league, which right now is the Lakers, as disgusting that as that is for me to say. Um, <laughs> say they beat the Lakers on the first night of like a back-to-back, and then they have to come to Phoenix the next night to, fight, to face a very frisky Phoenix Suns team that I am very proud of uh, the next night. By all right, rights, they should beat the Phoenix Suns, and, and maybe they come in though, and maybe they're emotionally drained from the night before. Maybe they're overconfident from the night before or anything. Maybe the Phoenix Suns are just fighting like it's life or death. Either way, they'll just catch the Bucks at the right moment and steal one. That's a trap game. Uh, and 
fellas, if there ever were a trap game, <laughs> this feels like it could be one. Uh, because here's two things, right? This is the first major de-escalation for Amanda Nunes since Raquel Pennington. Chuck, mm-hmm. I'm using some of your lingo there because yes. it's absolutely true. Um, her last two fights were Chris Cyborg and Holly Holm. Those are both major fights against major names with major stories and major stakes attached to them. You got with the Cyborg, you have the GOAT uh, status, being the this beating this unbeatable woman, two-division queen, all of that. With Holly Holm, you had major name, the woman who beat Ronda, and then also it was sort of that that carrot of beating the last bantamweight champion that was left on Amanda's list. Uh, and if also, if you remember, there was a lot of doubt in both. Few people thought that Amanda was going to beat Cyborg, and there was like certainly a wide-held belief out there in some circles that Holly had the really perfect style to beat Amanda. This one, though, man. Yeah. GDR, not only is this an escalation, it is a de-escalation is a major one. No one is talking about this fight. <laughs> it is the third fight on a three-fight title card or three-title fight card, completely being overlooked. Everyone is high as all hell on the Amanda Fu- Amanda Nunes fumes right now. She is just widely being embraced as the female goat at this point in the lead up to this fight, and that leads me to the second reason, which is this actually a sneaky kind of tough fight for Amanda? <laughs> because Jermaine Randomy like is a criminally underrated fighter simply because people just don't like her right she is still the person who's only lost to one person since 2012 and that was amanda she's the person who beat holly Holm. she's the woman who beat who knocked out aspen lad 46 and no kickboxing record she is unquestionably one of the best stand-up fighters in the whole division and what has amanda nunes become over these last few years she's really just a stand-up fighter now um not saying that she doesn't have more to her game but that's what how she likes to fight her fights yeah Am I reading too much into this? <laughs> no, I don't think you are, man. It it certainly has the feel of something that could go very awry, and I think that it's very dangerous to feel like it's a, you know that anybody's invincible, even if Amanda Nunes has looked that way over the last few fights, and especially given like you like you mentioned the bigger and bigger stakes. Uh, people love to think of her as the goat now that she was able to get through. Um, a couple of those names and even some of the, you know, even starting with Ronda Rousey and going through, you know, Misha and everybody like it's, it's been everybody. And then Cyborg just kind of caps, caps that off. Holly Holm just puts like a, you know, more emphasis on that. So yes, this is one of those ones that's like, now you're just back to defending against whoever's coming up next. And uh, you have multiple reasons to believe that uh, GDR is, motivated to win this fight right like she was i'm sure on some level there's a chip on her shoulder about the way the ufc treated her after the cyborg fight when she won the featherweight title i think that there's probably a chip on her shoulder about the way fans have treated her and how she's kind of uh had to go through that you know and i think that you know you go back and her last loss was to amanda nunes there was a lot of motivation to go in there and prove a lot of people wrong and as, as you mentioned the fight game does have a way of kind of smiting your expectations, proving how stupid we are, you know, like constantly. <laughs> and um, given that she's a stand-up fighter and she has all of that going for her and she's has the kind of power that she's carrying, that all adds up to something very significant. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think she's a very, very live dog in this fight. It's funny because the odds seem to reflect this as well. Um, Amanda Nunes, if you look at, at best fight odds, she is a smaller betting favorite against Jermaine Durandamy than she has been over any bantamweight uh, since the Shevchenko fight. Wow, so really? Las, okay. Las Vegas sees something here. Yeah. Right now, she's less than a 3-1 to one favorite, which is, is pretty small for her. Um, 
I don't know though, man. I mean, so statistically, like this wouldn't even come close to landing on the list of like all time biggest upsets in the UFC. No. But realistically, like it feels like you could actually just make a case for that. Like, how seismic would this be? I, I don't know that the MMA world is ready for Jermaine Duran to be two division UFC champion. No, I think it would be really funny, actually, in in a lot of ways, right? Because <laughs> because you look at a guy, you know, you, I'm sure that Dana White and other people within the UFC brass don't know what didn't know what to do. They were kind of stuck. They kind of had to figure out a fight for Amanda Nunes, and uh, you know, Durandamy was there and ready for it, and she gets it. I would almost say it was a reluctant booking to begin with, but to go in there and win. <laughs> the bantamweight title, and then knock off the the celebrated champion who uh, we've established as the goat of all you know in, in women's MMA of all time. That would be other level, you know, messing with things. I just think that if if she wins that title, it changes so much. It changes um, just so much perception and everything else. And I'm sure, like I'm I'm positive that the UFC, you know. They would roll with it. They wouldn't say anything, but I'm sure that they would be like, "Oh my God, what now?" If that happens, yeah, no, you're not, you're not wrong, Chuck. <laughs> I think that's a doomsday scenario for the UFC in and of itself for the women's divisions. Uh, having Jermaine Duran be in that spot, it, it's a, I don't know, man. I'm not gonna, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of myself and make the pick yet. But so I'll throw it to Chris. Chris, what thoughts on this fight and, and where you lean it? Yeah, we kind of talked about it actually, Sean, uh, at the end of last episode when we got uh, when we were done recording. And I was saying, for some reason, when I look at this main card, I don't know why, but this fight is jumping out at me as like this could be the upset. This could be the something mm-hmm. weird happens in this one. I don't necessarily think I'm gonna make the pick because Amanda still seems like the pick to me. But this does, as you mentioned, seem like a trap. Uh, Amanda definitely has a lot of power. She probably has the power advantage in this fight. But as far as straight up striking is concerned. I think Jermaine Durandamy might be the better striker all around. So I think that's a, a a big factor in this that people are overlooking. She does have the reach advantage. I, I looked uh, this time and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that could definitely, um, it, there could be an upset here. However, I am going to go with Amanda Nunes. I'm actually going to go with second round submission. Maybe she drops Jermaine, jumps on her and submits her. Obviously she could finish her. Um, but th- I don't know why, but this one is just jumping out to me as a potential uh, upset. But I am going to ultimately go with the Amanda yeah. Nunes here uh, by second round, maybe submission or, you know, she might drop Jermaine. All right. What do you think, Chuck? You know, man, after after Nunes kind of, you know, blasted through Cyborg and then beat Holly Holm, I, I, it was almost like in, in your mind, you're just like, I can't, I won't pick against her. I'm not going to pick against her. Yeah. I'm still in that boat. I, I This is the most tempted I've been in a while, though. I got to be on. I mean, of course, I, I picked Cyborg, right? But it's been I'm I'm tempted in any of the bantamweight fights like that she's had recently. I've always kind of leaned Nunes, and I'm more tempted this time than ever to be like, there's an upset in the in, in the making off of all the reasons we just talked about. But I think that my you know, just going off of what I know and how Amanda, I, I think that she protects herself very GSP like against complacency. I don't think she's letting it go to her head that she's the goat. Um, she's she remains hungry. I think that that's one of the things that di- differentiates her from other you know some of these other contenders and stuff like that. So I think she's going to prevail. And honestly, I think she'll probably get it done on the feet. I just think that she wants she'll want to prove that. Um, you know, this in the striking game, and I think that she'll just land something, and you know, we'll we'll just kind of see the wheels, you know, go into motion for the 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 beginning of the end. 
for Duran and me. That's the way I'm kind of imagining it. And uh, I, I, I think that I'm going to just stick with that. There's a part of me that keeps saying, like, I don't know, man. Maybe you should go pick the upset here because there's a part of your gut feeling that says it's it's very, very possible. But I'm sticking with Amanda Nunes. I think she'll get it done. TKO, probably mid-fight, I would say third round. I agree with everything you just said, Chuck. Every single thing you just said. it is it, To me, it's become impossible to pick against her. It really just has. Uh, she's reached that rarefied air that I think few people ever get to, right? That same place that... John Jones is in now that Anderson Silva was in during that 16 fight run. Yeah. It's just so hard to pick against her, even if the signs are telling you that maybe there's something there. Although I do think she's, I think she's smart. I think she's focused. I think she's determined to avoid a letdown. Like you said, she feels like a GSP type who's going to protect herself from getting too high on her own fumes. Um, I think she comes into this prepared and firing on all cylinders. And I think we see a masterclass. I will go ahead and pick a late knockout for the greatest female fighter we've ever seen. Maybe fourth round TKO. I like. It. I hate that we are all unanimous on, on all this. of them. We we're laying down some hard stink. <laughs> yeah, we got to be hard. wrong about something here for sure. We're definitely missing something. We, we just picked three. three. Yeah. yeah, we just picked three <laughs> successful to title defenses. Some craziness is going to happen because of us. I gotta um, say though, that last fight was the hardest one for me. I, I was I kept thinking back and forth on it, and I was like, finally, I was like Nunes, but I I was tempted, man, and it's it's unusual. To have right. that kind of feeling. Right. Why? Right. I keep looking yeah. at it and I keep thinking, what? why? Why is this such a difficult pick? It should be Amanda. I don't know yeah. why it's not. But in my head, it, it, for some yep. reason, I'm going back and forth on it. I think that's why the sharp money is like falling in for, <laughs> for Durandomy here. Yeah. Yeah. Also still out there. All three of us still have our lock of the night out there. And I, I fear Ooh. that we, we all might have the same idea. We haven't. We didn't talk about it beforehand. <laughs> um, I fear that. I fear I oh may know God. what's coming. But uh, let's, let's keep it moving. Uh, let's talk about this next fight on this main card. Um, Marlon Moraes, Jose Aldo, yeah. Chuck Mendenhall. What is your one big question for this fight? All right. I get asked the big question this time. All right. Uh, you know, this particular one is so strange because whoever thought we'd be looking at this fight, right? Like, I feel like no this one. is just this. And I feel like that's obviously like half of the appeal. So my big question is. What does Aldo look like as a bantamweight? We've seen like Ugh. photos and all that stuff, right? And then like some people are just like, "Ooh, this is not good." Um, I think everybody pl- thought that he would move up to lightweight at some point in his career. Instead, he's going the opposite way. And is this the craziest kind of yogi-like reduction of a human being we've seen since Kenny <laughs> Florian went down to featherweight? Oh my god! Because <laughs> to oh. me, I think it might be, man. Because I remember looking, I remember Kenny Florian showing up at a Vancouver show. I, f- I forget which number it was um, for a fight, and seeing him and just thinking like he he looked like a guy who had just been let out of prison where they were starving him or something like that. You know what I mean? Where it's just so yeah. gaunt that you're just like, oh man. I haven't seen Aldo. Obviously, like I've seen the pictures. We'll see how he looks ultimately um, at the weigh-ins and all that stuff. I'm sure you'll get up close and personal there, Sean, to kind of. Um, you know, see what see what's going on with Aldo. But to me, that's the big question is how he's going to look, man. It is not always advantageous, as we know. I feel like it's just documented fact to to kill yourself to make weight. And uh, and a guy like that who's had a hard time getting down to featherweight, I still have a lot of doubts as to how, you know, what he's doing to his body and getting down to, you know, to go down and fight Marlon Marais and all this stuff. And then the fact that Marlon Marais is a, is a killer, you know, so all of these things go in there. And it adds up to something like 
this seems like kind of a bad idea for Aldo to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I feel like there's a lot of uh, a lot of things he's got to got to kind of prove the other way in this fight. You guys can't see me, but I have my head in my hands while you were while you were saying all of that. <laughs> um, I am so. I am so, I don't even know an adjective, terrified for this fight. Like, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you guys put your worry about where Jose Aldo is trying to do? Because I'm honestly bordering on a 9 right now. This feels yeah. so unwise. Yeah, I'm, I'm, in, with a, you. I'm in the 7 or 8 range yeah. for sure. Yeah, it, it's not a good idea. If, you, if you're going to dehydrate your brain to a degree that you have just never done and it seemed feasibly impossible a few years ago... Marlon Marias seems like the absolute worst possible person to do it against in all of the bantamweight division. This is Jose Aldo, guys. Like, this is a guy who, as you said, Chuck, forever struggled to make 145, yes. who flirted for a half decade with a move for to 55, and he's fighting a legitimate just tank of a human being who may very well be the second best bantamweight in the entire world. Like, what could possibly go wrong here? Uh, it, feel, it feels to me like we're leading to one of two outcomes. Jose Aldo fails to make weight, and either the fight is off or it ends up being a catch weight, which is, would be something, I guess. Or Jose Aldo makes the weight, looks like TJ Dillashaw did against Henry Cejudo, where it was obvious it was obvious in the moment that this was a very poor idea, and then gets starched by the first few hard shots that he takes from one of the hardest hitters yeah. at 35. Like, every time we have ever seen this before in the history of the sport, and I'm it's hilarious to me that you mentioned Florian, because he was actually one of the guys that I thought of, too, and that's that's a little bit of a deep cut. <laughs> Dillashaw at twenty five, Pettis at forty five, Florian at forty five. Yeah. The list goes on. Like I can't remember any time this ended in a positive way. Can anyone here convince me there's a path that I'm not seeing? <laughs> well, I, I would I would love to ahead, be Chris. convinced. Yeah, I would love no, to be convinced. I, I was just gonna say I'd love to know what the logic is. Like it doesn't make sense for Aldo to be going down to. I mean, I guess it does in the sense that one fifty five is a division of absolute killers but going down to 135 it just doesn't seem like a a smart path anyway it's like you don't want to fight any of those other guys at the top of the division compromised you know what i mean it's like sahudo's not a not a joke at 135 so it it just concerns me that this was the thought process i don't think aldo can be more powerful at uh going down right i mean it just it seems like he's definitely more susceptible to uh, you know, a knockout. And again, especially against Marais, who's coming off a loss. So, you know, he's oh, couldn't be more motivated right now. Um, and, and Aldo's coming off a fight where he didn't look great against Volkanovski at his normal weight class. So it, it seems like this is a, a slow-moving uh, yeah. tragedy here, you know? <laughs> yes, it just it feels like a stubborn move based out of like some kind of desperation and maybe delusion. You know, it feels like it's all those things playing into one fight and um i hope i'm wrong to be honest but i, I we we've talked Same. about this weight cutting stuff so many times especially the extreme weight cutting it just usually doesn't it, it just doesn't go well man it just it doesn't go well so not only i know we're going to get to our uh, our picks here so I'll, I'll hold off on my uh <laughs> my prediction but uh i just i will say that i'd be surprised and i think that that's that's kind of the where i'm at at this i'd be surprised if aldo looks anything like himself and, you know, and, and, uh, and gets things done in this fight because it just seems like there's too much stacked against him. I just don't understand who is around him telling him that this was the move, that this was the good idea. How could, how could that conclusion have been reached? He has so many people around him 
I would assume some of whom are very intelligent. Yeah. Why why is this the move? Like people who've so- been around him that have watched him, you know, struggle to make one forty five and been through his hell of getting there. You know? Yeah. It's so weird because I just don't even know how to talk about this fight without just talking only about the weight. Like I, yeah. If if that's the only thing we're talking about with your fight before the fight, that's probably not a good idea. Like this, all of this just feels so misguided. I just don't understand why it's happening. Um, I'll Chris make your pick. What do you think? <laughs> He's like, now having said that, I like Aldo in this. Yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going, definitely going with Aldo. Uh, no. I, yeah, I just don't I don't see a scenario where Aldo is not cuz this is put it this way, if this was at um featherweight, it's a hard it's a very difficult yeah, matchup. I agree. For him. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. It's not like Morais is some gimme fighter. This guy's uh, elite of the elite was minutes away from becoming the champion against God, Henry Cejudo. So close. You know, so I, I I mean I love Jose Aldo. I hope we're wrong. I hope it's a a competitive fight. I hope he doesn't look the way that we believe he's going to look. Um, I have to go with Marlon Morice here, and I, I think it's going to be an early stoppage. I don't see. Um, I, I also don't see like how Aldo, even if he would weather an early, an early storm from Morice, then would have the the cardio, the energy, whatever, to continue on for another couple of rounds, uh, considering yeah. the weight cut. So, yeah, I ha- unless I see otherwise, you know, over the next few days, I mean, I, I, it's Marlon Morice. Um, I think my first round stoppage. Yeah. And that's to my me- lock, incidentally. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. there it is. Uh, I think that's what you were alluding to, Sean. That is, yeah, yeah, that is yeah. my lock. It seems like the type of thing, when we look back on it, you know, I don't even know, maybe in the next couple of months, we'll look back and be like, what well, was the experiment that gone awry? Now he's back on, you know, Josel is mo- either moving back to featherweight or he's going up to lightweight. He's going to some other extreme. I just have a feeling we're going to look back at this as like, man, why? Why did he ever do that? I think it's going to play out almost exactly the way Chris just laid out, I think it's going to be he, – he'd just be too too much of a compromised self in there if he does make the weight. And he's probably going to get clipped with something because we know how hard Marlon Marais hits, and I, it's just going to seem sad, you know. And that's, that's what I'm – I don't want it to be the case, but I feel like that's the way it's going to go. And just like you, man, I, I see this fight – Going, I'm so definitive on it. I was going to make this my lock as well. I just think Marlon Marais coming off of that <laughs> oh, loss. No. Yeah, yep. Marlon Marais oh, coming no. off of that loss, man. I just, I, there is no way he loses two fights in a row. No, how'd you like that one, Sean? I wanted to like throw that out there just to kind of jinx it even a little more. Oh my god, this pains <laughs> me. This pains me so much. This is just, not, it's not going to end well. It, I just don't see any way that it does, and I want to be proven wrong, uh, but. I like you guys, like you gentlemen. Marlon Marais by knockout, and I think it's going to be early, and I think it's going to make me sad. If yeah. it, and that's if the fight even happens at all. If we get to the point where the fight <laughs> is able to happen and everybody is healthy enough to compete, would you um, rather? Would you rather that be the case, Sean? As somebody that's like a huge fan of Jose Aldo and obviously doesn't want to see something, you know, bad happen here. Would you rather the fight doesn't happen? I don't know. I, I mean, that's just wishing some other level of misfortune upon somebody so i just don't even like yeah. the whole thing this whole thing just makes me sad i think i'm going marlon Moraes, probably first round knockout and i am making it unanimous that is my lock of the night <laughs> i thought i'd be the only one doing this one that is hilarious no we didn't talk about this at all before the show and we ended up at the exact same place that is not uh that does not bode well i would think although like maybe all we four- all four fights so far these are not like blowouts any of them and yet we've all come to this consensus on all of them so far Maybe we just, maybe we just 
kind of used the system to our advantage though maybe we just painted like 10 layers of thick stink all over that and and it's going to end up being different than we expect we don't know yeah it seems possible well that was thoroughly depressing let's move on to this last fight (laughs) of this main card and this one's fascinating to me this is peter yawn versus uriah faber um and so this is my one big question my one big question for this fight is this the coming out party we have been waiting to see from peter yawn because I don't think any of us expected Uriah Faber to do what he did in July. Everything about that comeback read like it was a nightmare waiting to happen. It was it was a guy who had been retired for three years on the wrong side of 40, who looked like a very much diminished version of himself when he left, coming back against this flame-throwing 26-year-old. Like, when does that ever work out in the fight game? But it did. And <laughs> But now the, thing is, it, now the thing is, this is different. Like, this feels like the worst-case scenario that could have happened for Uriah Faber after something like that. Like if you, I actually went back and, and listened to our Monday show after that Faber fight. And in that show, I didn't think that there was any way in the world that the UFC would give Faber somebody like Peter Yan. In fact, I thought it was like the last possible opponent that they would give him. Cause it's the same type of thing we were talking about with Volkanovsky, right? It's someone with absolutely no name value who may very well be a top three guy in the entire sport in that division. And yet What's a, like a win doesn't do much. Like that's not the type of opponent you give a forty-year-old with a big name if you're trying to manicure his way back into a big fight. And even Faber, it seemed like, didn't really want this fight. Like if you remember, he and Peter Jan's manager Danny Rubenstein were going back and forth a little bit on social media, which is not something you see a lot from Faber these days. And he was even open about it. He just wanted a big name. Now he's kind of stuck to it, stuck with this. And really, like I, honest, I honestly give credit to the UFC for going this route, for being willing to yeah. invest in Peter Yan, because that's what this fight feels like to me. Like the headlines will be Uriah Faber, but this feels like it's more about Peter Yan and what the UFC thinks of his future than it is about Uriah Faber and what he can do. Because this is the perfect type of win that could make Peter Yan a legitimate player at 35. You said a lot there, and I think that all of that is true. The other, the other side of the coin, obviously, is if Faber gets through Peter Yan you have no problem making him, you know, a title contender, right, at that point? Oh, he he's it at that point. That's it. That's it. So I feel like it's a no-lose situation in that way. It's a little bit of shrewd matchmaking that you're basically like, okay, either we get Peter Yawn into a bigger degree where he gets his, this big-time, you know, brand-name victory. It's not Jimmy Rivera or John Dodson or something like that. He's looked good against these guys, but now this is Uriah Faber at the moment when everybody's paying attention. So I think that that would be... One great scenario for the UFC is Peter Young goes in there, has his big showcase moment. He gets through Uriah Faber. Now we're talking about Peter Young in terms of uh, you know titles and everything else. But if if Uriah Faber does it, it just leaves no doubt that he you can book him right back into there. And we know that when he's booked into a title fight, it carries a little something extra. People love him. You know he's a fan favorite and all that. And you know what? He will have had to earn it, and he'll probably do something basically. Um, mind-blowing if he does it like he'd probably choke out peter yarn or something it'd be something crazy right because i don't think he's going to win a decision um so it's like if he's able to do it you know you've got something pretty good on your hands too so the ufc kind of did this one right it's it doesn't make the most sense until you really think about it and you're like okay well you can get you over either guy here towards what you need so um i i i I really like it and i like that you know i like that faber took it you didn't yeah. have any reason to really take this other than he just wants to keep going. So uh, kudos to him for taking this fight. That's the thing too, right? Is credit to Faber for being able to take, for being willing to take this fight. Because yeah. it, it, 
it's it's the hardest possible fight he could have asked for, man. <laughs> Definitely is, man. You, you're mean, right, though. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Go for it. Well, I was just going to say, like, you know, Faber in his, you know, penultimate, it was very close to the end. I think he had one more fight after he had the Brad Pickett win. But before that, he was fighting Jimmy Rivera at the exact wrong time. Rivera at that time was like, at, at UFC 203 was kind of like, ooh, nobody wants to fight that guy. But Uriah Faber fought him and lost. And who was it that just beat Jimmy Rivera? It's Peter Yon. The, the math doesn't add up for this one either. So it's 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 just one of those like left field matchmaking things that carries though a lot of like it's fun too you know what I mean like it's there's a lot of fun elements um, that just it could go any direction man so it's kind of it's kind of cool that way. You are right though in 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 the fact that if Uriah wins like not only is it a given that he's going to fight for that title next and he's going to jump over the Aljamain Sterlings and the Corey Sanhagens <laughs> and and everybody basically much to their I'm sure dismay. Uh, I wouldn't even be surprised if he jumped over Joseph Benavides though and convinced the UFC to do Cejudo versus Faber at 35 before Cejudo does Benavides at 25. Oh my god. Maybe even leading to like an maybe even Remember how, like an interim title at feather dude, at flyweight cuz you know for a fact Cejudo will be lobbying for that exact he same was, thing. He was he was throwing out Uriah Faber's name back when we were like what are you talking about? You know, like why would you want to uh, it'd be ridiculous if that came to pass and yes you're right, I could see it happening. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, so, Chris, there's a lot going on in this fight. What do you think? What's your pick? Uh, I want to throw this phrase out to you guys, and this is going to tell you where my pick is going. <laughs> NCAA Division One wrestler. I'm going to go yeah. with Uriah Faber oh. by submission. I think he's going to use his wrestling, what? and he's going to catch a guillotine <laughs> on Patreon, and he's going to overturn this division and make an unbelievable return to the sport. Uh yeah. Agent of chaos, Chris. I am, yeah. I, I, I figured you guys were going to go with Peter Yan, so I'm going to uh, make a little bit of a wild pick. Look, Peter Yan on the feet, I mean, just everywhere. He's kind of been a beast since he's been in the UFC. But I think the Wiley veteran comes back. He uses his wrestling. And also, he has a huge uh, advantage as far as jiu-jitsu is concerned. Peter Yan is a blue belt. Uriah's a, a brown belt, but obviously he's been around forever, so... Uh, he has a ton of experience there. I, I I do think he goes with the patented team alpha male uh, guillotine and ends up uh, with an upset here and, and wins this fight. <laughs> I like it. I, I kind like of going out. On yeah, it. man. I kind of would love to see the world just for a minute. Like, I mean, it's not the craziest upset or anything like that, but it's just that we had already kind of put Uriah Faber away for him to come back and then be in that situation would be so ridiculous, man. Yeah. I would almost like to just see it just to just to go through that process. But I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I just I'm, it's hard it's hard for me to go against uh, Peter Yawn in this one. I just feel like he's he's had the right you know he's had the right escalation. He's went through the right guys to kind of go into a bigger moment, a bigger spotlight, and really seize it. Like there's not there should be no reason for that guy to not be up for this moment. And uh, kind of realizing from his own standpoint that a title could be on the line for himself. You know. I just think he's going to. I think you know he's 26 years old. I just think he's going to show up and and do work, man. It's I, I I'm going to go with him. I think that I think Faber will last though. I, I'm I'm projecting that Faber will go the distance and that Jan will get uh, the unanimous decision. I like it. I think that's my pick too. I think throughout the history of this sport, there's just these type of fights rarely, if ever, work out for the older fighter. Uh, Jan's faster. He's stronger. He's well-rounded enough to, I think, overcome anything Faber throws at him. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Uriah has one more miracle left in the tank. Uh, but Peter Yawn, by decision, is the pick for me. 
And that ends up our main card. Somehow, I, I, this is a weird one, man. I did not <laughs> expect this at all. No. But we ended up with almost identical picks, all three of us. Uh, we have all three of us picking Usman. All three of us picking Holloway. All three of us picking Nunez. All three of us picking Marlon Marias and making that our lock of the night. And then this last one, Chris is going with the California man, Uriah Faber. Yeah, I had to go rogue on that one. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I like it. Uh, and then Chuck, you and I are going with Peter Yan. And then, of course, undercard, uh, as I said at the top, Chris has Ketlin Vieira. I have Irene Aldana. And Chuck, you have Jeff Neal. And those are our picks for UFC yeah. 245. That is our UFC 245 preview. Uh, so many divergent outcomes that could happen from this card, man. We could end oh, up in yeah. a world where Colby Covington is is a champion, Amanda Nunes is no longer a champion, and uh, and Uriah Faber is the number one contender at 41, 40 years old. <laughs> That'd be a lot to process. And oh you know what? Gosh. It's totally feasible. That's what's so That's the crazy thing. about this game. You know, the, the fight game. It's just nuts. None of those is too outlandish. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a fun one, gentlemen. We're going to go ahead and wrap up today's show. We have our interim title of the week as we do every Wednesday. Chuck, would you like to go first? Or no? Sure, man. You know, we talked a little bit about, not a lot, we, we talked a lot a bit about uh, Alistair Overeem and kind of the way he went down uh, this weekend. Winning a fight, going away, gets caught at the end, controversial stoppage, and... I'm guessing that'll probably be the end of Alistair Overeem in any kind of title talks. He's going to be 40 years. I don't even know how old he is. He's over 40 years old, right? But he's been at it for so long. Uh, been through 17 different UFC fights. Lost seven of those UFC fights. All seven have come by KO, even though he wasn't technically, he didn't lose consciousness or anything in this last one. He gets beat by Rosenstrike and... It was a, it was a sad thing to kind of see because you know he doesn't have a way back. And I saw a little clip. I think Ariel Hawani had posted this, uh, reposted this, where he was arriving back at the airport and his family, his little kids uh, were running up to him. And you see him hugging him and he's in good spirits. He's giving him kisses and he's doing all that. And it just it always crashes back down like the, the humanity of a situation like that. And the realization that this guy has been chasing his dream for a long time in the UFC, and you just, you realize he's never going to get it at this point. And uh, I should never say never, but you know what I mean. It's going to be a hard hard climb for him to do anything again. Uh, we, I'm guessing that he's almost on the way out of the fight game. And just kind of seeing that moment, man, it, it it meant something. And I, because he never really got the got the UFC title, he had the moment where he fought for it in Cleveland and all that, but he didn't get it. I'm going to go ahead and present him my last chance to do this, maybe, that my interim title for this week. And, uh, you know, hopefully the best, all, all the best to how he handles himself in defeat for this one. Well done. That was beautiful, Chuck. Thank you, man. <laughs> You're a poet. <laughs> uh, for my interim title of the week, I am also going with UFC Washington, D.C., and I'm handing mine to another heavyweight, Mr. Stefan Struve, oh. for accepting an unfair result with grace and style. Uh, Stefan Struve, obviously he of the double ball kicking from Ben Rothwell, did the media rounds on Monday to talk about the whole tough loss that he suffered, and, and really he had a little bit of a tweet storm as well. And I thought he handled a, a very tough situation about as gracefully as one could possibly ask from someone who had been swat, smashed twice in the kibble and, kibbles and bits by a hairy American giant. Um <laughs> He came, he came, not only did he come to the defense of Dan Margliotta, he was like rallying fans to lay off Tan Dan. And he didn't fault Ben Rothwell at all. 
at all. All in all, like it was just, it was a great show of sportsmanship, I thought, from a guy who had been really, he could have been really, really justified, just go scorched earth on the whole thing. Um, But this one tweet, this one tweet may have made me a Stefan Struve guy until the end of time. Uh, He was asked by a fan, how do you, how did you feel about the crowd? I got to know. And of course, the DC crowd was very weird with this whole thing. As it was playing out, there was like a cheering when he would stand up and he would get back down. They would boo. And it was just the whole thing didn't make any sense. Um, and Stephen, <laughs> Stephen Struve, that wonderful man, responded with this. Uh, what he, his response to that question. Quote, shit was weird as fuck. I felt like I was going to give birth to fucking Charizard and they were booing and chanting. Then I started to fight again and they chant USA, 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 like my Dutch balls did something wrong. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you got to love it. If, of, of all the MMA tweets that have ever been tweeted, that might be the most perfect MMA tweet in history. Um, That's awesome, man. <laughs> if there's a better tweet, I don't want to see it. Stefan Struve, you're the man, and you're my interim title winner of the week. Love it. <laughs> Anytime someone can invoke uh, giving birth to fucking Charizard, it, they, they're going to take my award. I'm just letting it, you know right now. That's the shortcut. It took a to my while, heart. but Struve just became one of your guys, Sean. <laughs> Probably <laughs> took longer than anybody, and it's taken for anybody. <laughs> but he did. You are 100% right, yeah. Chuck. Um, and that wraps up our episode today of the man of the myth podcast here on this Wednesday. Thank you so much. All of you out there for tuning in. Uh, it was a fun one. Hope you guys enjoyed it. That was our UFC 245 preview. As I said, I'm going to be in Las Vegas all week. So expect some stuff from me. Also Chuck and the rest of the team here at the athletic. Also gentlemen, Saturday guys up for a post fight show doing, doing anything. I have to check, but, uh, I might be up for something like that. Yeah, I think we could probably do it. (laughs) It's a date Saturday night post fight show. Uh, exclusively on The Athletic, so please subscribe so you can tune into that, and then we'll be back Monday to recap the rest of the card. Uh, In the meantime, hope all you out there enjoy fight week. Uh, It's the last big one of the year. Make it a good one, and we'll catch you guys on Saturday night.